Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Amen. So I'm grateful for, for your, your ministry to us this morning, uh, worship team. Um, I'm just over there listening to those words of that song, Jesus, you're all I need. And um, it's just one of those things where I feel um, that we need to come to grips with. Is Jesus really everything that we need? I mean, if, if we have Jesus and, and nothing else, the reality is we have everything we need. Um, and so the, the question, is he really your portion? This morning is a good question to allow to ruminate in your mind and heart. And my prayer is that Jesus will be everything that that you you need uh, in your life. So um, I trust that this is uh, uh, something that will coincide with our time in the word today as we want to be in first uh, Samuel chapter eight. First Samuel. Uh, chapter 8, I'm going to read the first nine verses, <clears throat> but I want to cover the entire chapter today, but I'll read the first nine verses into your hearing this morning. Reading from the Christian Standard Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 8. Reads, when Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges over Israel. His firstborn son's name was Joel, and his second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. However, his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned toward dishonest prophet, took bribes, and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and went to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Therefore, appoint a king to judge us the same as all the other nations have. When they said, give us a king to judge us, Samuel considered their demand wrong. So he prayed to the Lord, but the Lord told him, Listen to the people and everything they say to you. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me as their king. They are doing the same thing to you that they have done to me since the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, abandoning me and worshiping other gods. Listen to them, but solemnly warn them. And tell them about the customary rights of the king who will reign over them. This morning I want to use as a title this morning, The God Who Gives and the King Who Takes. The God Who Gives and the King Who Takes. Will you pray with me this morning? Our Father, we pause in your presence to say thank you. Lord, we are grateful to be in your presence this morning. God, your word reminds us that in as many as two, uh, in as little as two or three, Lord, you're in the midst of 
those of your people who are gathered together. And so, uh, Lord, you are present here among us. And so, and as much as you're present, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. Lord, that you would move in such a way uh, as to only you can, can move. Lord, there are people uh, who are coming in with various concerns, various burdens, and, and Lord, we want to offer those to you, the God who said to cast our cares on you because you care for us. Lord, we, um, we want to hear from you today, and your word uh, is living, and it's active, and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. Lord, I pray that you would use it to penetrate to the core of who we are, that it would shape us, that it would mold us, that it would convict us, and that it would transform us into the very image of your son, Christ. That we would be the people that you have called us to be, O oh God. And I pray that the words of my mouth, Lord, the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. You know, growing up, I uh, used to um, like, well, well, my favorite movie growing up was the movie Willy Wonka. Um, You know, this, this story of this poor kid who goes from uh, the most insignificant, uh, unlikeliest of all uh, people to then become uh, the one who would then inherit Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Um, It's interesting that at the end of the movie, uh, when Charlie finally uh, receives this uh, great gift, He's riding on this uh, elevator that uh, is able to fly with Willy Wonka. And and Willy Wonka tells him, Charlie, don't forget what happened to the man who suddenly got everything he wanted. To which Charlie responds, what happened? Mr. Wonka said, he lived happily ever after. He lived happily ever after. I always love that that part because uh, it it, it just... uh, you know, communicated this idea and this reality that, that maybe um, Charlie wouldn't have to suffer any longer. His family wouldn't have to um, uh, go through hardship any longer, and he'd be able to live happily ever after. And there are people in the room uh, today who are living with this type of thinking and attitude that if I can just get everything that I want... I, too, can live happily ever after. If I can just get that degree, if I can just get that that job, or if I can just get that house, if I can just get that car or that spouse, or have this ideal family or this dream vacation, then I, too, will live happily ever after. But our passage today offers uh, stark contrast to this type of wishful thinking. And to be honest, the thing about ifs are that ifs are based on conditions and circumstances that are often beyond our control. The truth is that if you have a hard time being happy and content now with little, you won't really be happy then once you have more. See, it's not getting everything that, that we want that produces um, 
the result of lasting and true happiness. In fact, if you're taking notes, you can just write down this very simple truth that we see in this passage and take it with you this week. Everything I want only exists in a genuine relationship with God. Everything I want only exists in a genuine relationship with God. We just got finished singing, uh, I believe you're my portion. I believe you are all I need. And so we see that everything we want and need is found in a genuine relationship with God. That's nothing new for us who have been uh, exposed to the faith or have been walking with the Lord for some time or who have been in the Christian communities and Christian circles. But it's deeply profound that God, who's the source of life, the creator of all, by him, the scriptures say, uh, all things were made and for him everything exists. And so finding true and lasting joy can, can, can never be obtained outside of a genuine relationship with God. And in our context of our passage today, um, Israel has gone from, from Abraham um, all the way up to uh, the prophet Samuel. We're back in Genesis 12. God appears to Abraham and he he tells him uh, that he's going to make a covenant with him to make him a blessing to every nation in the world through this promise of a son. And over the course of time, God brings about the promise, but it's not without some hardship for the promised people. They found themselves enslaved to Egypt for 400 years, only to be set free through the marvelous display of God's power through Moses and Aaron, his brother. And once free, we, we see the people journey throughout the wilderness uh, through uh, and past the, the Red Sea and into the wilderness for the next 40 years. But because of their ingratitude and complaints, God allowed an entire generation to die in the wilderness before they entered the promised land. God speaks to Moses and then he issues these commandments that the people were supposed to follow in order for them to be distinguished from all the other nations of the world. Only to find that these people, this, these uh, Israelites were enabled and uh, incapable of keeping God's standards. So God allows them to go through a series of years where they were, were judged and conquered by other nations and judged and delivered and set free only to fall back into disobedience and then to be conquered by other nations only to be set free by another judge who is raised up and on and on and on and so forth and so forth. Coming out of that period, God calls Samuel. And Samuel is serving over the people and he serves the Lord and the people for a number of years. And in our passage today, uh, Samuel's ministry is is getting ready to take a different type of of of, of shift. He's nearing a, a time where he's aged and and the people are seeing this as an opportunity to do things differently than they've done them. And I want to highlight four shifts the people display that result in transitioning 
uh, from the God who gives to this king who takes and hopefully offer us um, principles to live by so we don't make the, the same mistakes that Israel makes. Or at the very least, we have an awareness of where we are in our understanding of, of this type of mindset. Number one, we see that there's desperate times. There's a shift in these There's desperate times. Verses 1 through 5 says, When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges over Israel. His firstborn son's name is Joel, and his second is Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. However, his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned toward dishonest prophet and took bribes and perverted justice. There's an old saying that the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. And usually when people say that, it's, it's usually referring to the child who is, um, uh, has characteristics and traits just like their parent. But in the case of Samuel's sons, the apple fell very far from the tree. Samuel is chosen by God. He's born to a, a barren mother who prayed and, 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 and cried out to God to give her a son. And in as much as she had done that, she said that, Lord, if you do this, I'll dedicate him back to you. And so at a very early age, Samuel is dedicated to the Lord. And then he's uh, in um, um, relationship with Eli in service to the Lord at a young age. Set apart for service to God. But his sons were an entirely different matter altogether. These jokers were awful. I mean, they were some scoundrels. Not really the kinds of people you want leading others. They were dishonest. They took bribes. And Israel had their share of leaders up until this point, but these elders knew uh, it wouldn't really be a good idea if Samuel's sons were the ones to take the lead once Samuel left. That wouldn't be good for any of them. And so in these desperate times, these elders found themselves gathering together to, 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 to see what needed to be done and how they wanted to operate going forward. It's a desperate time for them. They approach Samuel and they, and they tell him, look, you're getting old. What a way to <laughs> approach Samuel. Look, man, you ain't got too long uh, to live. You don't, you don't have too much longer as the, the leader of us. You got one foot in the grave. And so we, we need to do some things differently. We tend to find ourselves as people uh, of God who live in this world in, in very desperate times. We look around the world. We look around our nation. We look at the things that are happening in our communities across uh, the nation and the globe. And there's just so much turmoil. There's so much strife. There's so much going on that calls us to look around and say, man, these are some really, really desperate times. I mean, there's just a lot that is happening that calls us to be concerned, and we should be concerned. The world around us is 
doing what it wants, and everybody does what's right in their own eyes. Inasmuch as the elders of Israel looked to the man of God to look at his house, and, 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 and they should be able to look at his house and see a model of order and consistency and, 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 and obedience to God, but the reality is they look and they don't see that in Samuel's house. The question I have for us is when the world looks at the church, how do they, what do they see about us in these desperate times? Are they saying to themselves, man, these people are supposed to represent God, but, but they're just as bad as, as, as we are? Do they see that, 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 that we are a people who are, are perverting justice? Or are we walking in integrity and, and championing righteousness and justice? Do the people look at the church and see that, 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 that it's all about um, getting and, and, and accumulating uh, wealth and power and fame and notoriety and influence? Or do they see us as humble? Do they see us as obedient servants of the Most High God, those who are willing to lay our lives down in service to others, those who love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors. As What do they see when they look at God's people, God's household? What do they notice about his children? These are desperate times, and desperate times usually call for desperate measures, and that's exactly what happens next in verses 4 through 9. All the elders, they gather, and they, they, they're, they're with Samuel. And look what they say in verse 5, based on what they see and what they discern. Therefore, appoint a king to judge us, here it is, the same as all the other nations have. And when they said... Give us a king to judge us. Samuel considered their demand wrong, so he prayed to the Lord. But the Lord told him, listen to the people and everything they say. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me as their king. They are doing the same thing to you that they have done to me since the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, abandoning me and worshiping other gods. Listen to them. But solemnly warn them and tell them about the customary rights of the king who will reign over them. Desperate times. Now these elders are going to desperate measures. The situation actually presented the people with an opportunity that they've actually been hoping for for quite some time. The Lord said since he brought them out of Egypt. They've been acting a fool, abandoning him, rejecting him, not wanting to submit to his commands, not wanting to walk in his ways, not um, um, submitting to the leadership that's been placed in their camp. All these things. And so the people didn't just get here, they've been here, rejecting God and, and, and worshiping other gods has been a part of their DNA since God brought them out of bondage. 
to be clear, their request for a king was not necessarily an issue. The request for a king is not necessarily an issue. If you go back to Deuteronomy in 17, um, you'll see that God says they're going to, or he's going to give them a king one day. But we have to look at the motive behind their request. And this is where, um, this is where the issue creeps in. We see that it's in, it's in what they want the king for. It's almost like they are lacking trust in God and wanting to have a king that they can then put their trust in. Samuel hears this and he has a problem with what they're saying because he understands the motive behind the request. He knows that that laced in this request is a distrust of God. The one who had given them everything. Listen, these, these folk were in, in bondage for 400 years, crying out to God, and he set them free from bondage. They come to the Red Sea, and the Red Sea is blocking them from the Egyptians behind them. He parts the Red Sea, allows them to go across on dry land. They're wandering through the wilderness. They're starting to complain about food and drink. And God is providing everything that they need. And here they are in a time of desperation. When God had shown them reasons to trust them, asking for a king showing that they really don't trust him like they should. The one who had given them everything, now they're ready to put him on the back burner so they could have a physical king to put their trust in. One commentator writes, God rightly calls this a rejection of him. It was not a total rejection as if they wanted nothing to do with God, it was a rejection through demanding that God give them or God give some other source of happiness and security. Both are forms of rejection, and they still persist today. He writes, irreligious people reject God by not wanting him to be a part of their lives at all, and religious people reject God by letting him be a part of their lives, but not really trusting and depending on him. You see that? There's two ways you can reject God. You can just overtly, outright reject him and his lordship over your life and have nothing to do with him. Or you can be content with just making him a part of your weekend. Coming in to gather with God's people for an hour or two and then going on about your life the way you want to, to live it. As long as you make, you know, God an accessory to your life, that's good enough. As long as he's the, the coffee table or the accent rug and not the house. You want, you want God. 
So does your life look like you're trusting in you more than you're trusting in God? Remember, it's not it's not the fact that they want a, 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 a leader. God gave them leaders. OK, and, and, and so leadership is not the issue here. It's a lack of trusting in God. That's the issue. And so uh, all people groups inevitably need good leaders. When we look at the church, God has blessed the church with leaders to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to uh, lead the people of God. So leadership is not necessarily the issue. It's the fact that they want something and someone in addition to God to depend on. They're looking around at all the other nations that they've been conquering. They're saying, wait, now, they got a king. They got a king. They got a Man, it'd be nice to have a king. We had a king, too, so we could be like them. It's nothing quite like peer pressure to make you feel like you have to compromise who you are in order to be what people want you to be. So Israel is no different. They, 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 they saw that Samuel's sons are crooked and, and, and that their leadership wasn't anything to be excited about. So they begin to look around and see, well, they got kings. We want a king, too. We want a king just like them. And, it, and, and, at, and at first glance, it doesn't necessarily seem like a, a, a bad thing and a bad request and a big deal until you realize who Israel was supposed to represent. Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 8, God tells them carefully, follow them. He's talking about his commands. For this will show your wisdom and understanding in the eyes of the people. When they hear about all these statutes, they will say, this great nation, that is Israel, is indeed a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call him? And what great nation has Righteous statutes and ordinances like this entire law that I set before you today. So in other words, no other nation had a God like God, like the true and living God of Israel. No other nation had righteous laws and righteous statutes like Israel had. Leviticus 20 and 26 God says, you are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy and have set you apart from the nations to be mine. They were set apart for a special relationship with God to represent God's holiness to other nations. Finally, Isaiah 42 and 6, I am the Lord. I have called you for a righteous purpose, and I will hold you by your hand. I will watch over you, and I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations. 
And so in that context, when we see them ask for a king based on who they were set apart to be, they were supposed to be the one that the nations would look at and say, hey, we want to be like you. Y'all got something we don't have. There's something about you that is setting you apart. What is it? So what is it for you? That, 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 that when people are, who are not believers look at your life and look at how you live your life in, in obedience to the will of God, in obedience to the, the, the scriptures and the word of God. Are they looking at you and, 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 and expressing a desire to be like you or, 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 or are they rubbing off on you so much that you want to be like them? First Peter, Peter says that you are a royal, a chosen people, a royal priesthood. A people who have been what? Set apart. Can, 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 can the world look at your life and distinguish that there's something different in your operating system than theirs? So they're supposed to be a light to the nations, not to be dimmed by the nations so that they become dark. But that can happen when you live in a culture that is promoting darkness. Your light can get so, so dim and so, so snuffed out that people don't even recognize the light anymore. And we all have to deal with this. We all have to go through this as believers in the one true and living God. Will we, will we have a desire to so be accepted and embraced by the world that we compromise who we are in God? So God is bringing blessing through Israel to all the nations. So the fact here that they're asking for a king, when God is their God and king, is the height of ingratitude, ungratefulness, distrust. And so God says they have rejected me, have not rejected you, Samuel. What do your requests say about who you're rejecting? What do my requests to, 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 to God say about my relationship with him? And it, it, are my requests saying that, Lord, give me the stuff, but, but, but you can just get out the way. I don't need you. I need what you can give me. So when we sing, uh, Jesus, you're all I need, is that really true? I mean, it's a good song, and y'all sing it. And it hits us, and, 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 and we get caught up in, in the worship of it. 
But when the rubber meets the road and your life faces a desperate or a, a, a desperate time, does the desperate measure lead you to God or away from him? Are you pressing into more of God? Or are you asking God to give you things that can kind of uh, uh, numb the effects of your condition? So as followers of Jesus, we're called to deny ourselves, meaning reject our selfish desires, reject our motives, reject our plans in submission of his. But desperate times can lead to desperate measures, which in turn can lead to disastrous results. Verse 10, Samuel told all the Lord's words to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, these are the rights of the king who will reign over you. Number one, he will take your sons and put them to use his chariots on his horses or running in front of his chariots. He can appoint them for his use as commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties to plow his ground and reap his harvest or to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He can take your daughters to become perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He can take your best fields, vineyards, and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He can take a tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give them to his officials and servants. He can take your male servants and female servants, your best cattle and your donkeys, and use them for his work. He can take a tenth of your flock, and if that ain't enough, you yourselves can become his servants. When that day comes, you will cry out because of the king you have chosen for yourself. But the Lord won't answer you on that day. My, my, my. God is giving them a list of details surrounding their desire for this king. And he says, okay, uh, if this is what you want, just know the results are going to be disastrous for you. Just know this is going to be something that, that, that is going to turn against you. Where you think it's in your favor now, it's not going to work in your favor later. Have you ever been there? You just want something so bad, you just had to have it. You finally get it, and now that thing is it, nothing now. And you walking around uh, letting that thing consume you. Like, I just, I just need it. Like, I just want it so bad because, like, when I get it, it's just going to make me feel like so, you know, so good, you know. And it could be anything. It could be a thing. It could be a person. It could be anything. I mean, I just think back to, you know, when I was a kid in Christmas. I mean, you know, I just had to have certain gifts 
get them, two weeks later, I don't even want them like I did. And I see the same thing in my kids. You know? I mean, on the day of, they can get tired of the toy. Like, at least, at least enjoy it for 24 hours before you get rid of it. But I, 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 I often, I look at this, and I had to look twice because this is actually God's grace to the people. That he would warn them what's going to happen when they get what he grants them. What they just thought they wanted so bad. But here's the thing about God. You see, God gives blessings, but he also gives warnings. And then sometimes God gives us what we think we want in order to help us realize it's not what we really need. So if you got everything you wanted, but later discovered it wasn't what you thought you wanted, how would you respond? So we're told they want a king, and eventually they're going to get it only to become his slaves, not something they want. Then they'll realize it's not what they wanted in the first place, only to then cry out to God. And how would God respond? Them noise-canceling headphones. He, he's, not, he's not hearing it. See, the king is going to do things that's going to benefit himself to the detriment of the people. And this is the danger of them trying to be like everyone else when they were called to be set apart. Because what happens is that cultural conformity exchanges freedom for bondage. It exchanges freedom for bondage. Where they thought they're, 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 they're going to be liberated and free because of this king, uh, they, they, they move aside and move away from the God who gives and gives them everything to a king who's going to then take everything from them. But hear, hear me now, as believers... We aren't called to conform to anything in this world. In fact, we're called to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so bondage is the reality for anyone who chooses anything or anyone above God. That's the irony of us wanting our idea of freedom. It becomes a type of bondage. It becomes a type of yoke. It, it becomes a type of enslavement, if you will. But if we're truly after freedom, it's only found in Jesus. John says in John 8 and 36 that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And all that means is that uh, if, the, if the sun sets you free, then you're truly free. 
You're truly liberated. Paul says in Galatians 5 and 1 that for freedom, Christ set you free. Therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Everybody today talking about they just want to be free. They, they, they want to do what they want to do when they want to do it, how they want to do it. And the reality of what they're doing is actually a form of bondage. God in Christ gives us true freedom. It's the ability to say yes to God and no to the world. It's the ability to say yes to God and no to the flesh. It's the ability to say yes to God and no to the world. That's true freedom. To be able to see what's behind the face. But because we have a distorted view of who God is, we don't view God as a generous God. We don't, we don't view God as a God who, who is graciously ready to give us all things. But we view him as a God who's withholding good from us. And brothers and sisters, this, this is something that's been happening since creation. God creates the world and he creates humanity and places them in this plush garden with everything to enjoy with a, uh, a relationship with him that is not um, 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 detached but an intimate relationship with him. Satan shows up and he gets Eve to think and doubt that they have everything that they need. And so now, because she's thinking that she needs something more than what she has, that leads to bondage. That leads to bondage. She gives Adam the fruit he eats. They both eat. And as a result, humanity now is in bondage to sin because of that one decision. And now their view of God and our view of God is distorted. Because we thought and we think we need something more than he already gave. But the last time I checked, God proves his love for us, Romans 5, 8, in that while we were still sinners, he died for us. You see, God can't love you anymore because he can't love you any less because at the cross, he maxed out his love on his son. His love for you is in the, the wrath poured out on Jesus. Romans 8.32 says, He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also grant with him, grant us everything. So, so, so God didn't even withhold his son from the cross. He gave him for all of us. And so we got to 
adjust our thinking to think rightly about who God is so that we don't end up with these disastrous results. Because when we think that God is trying to withhold something, oftentimes what tends to happen is that we're just so uh, um, uh, persistent about what God might be trying to keep from us that it leads to finally a denial of reality. Denial of reality. 19, the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said. We we don't want to hear nothing you got to say about what we want right now. We must have a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations. Our king will judge us, go out before us, and fight my battles. It may look like I'm... But... But he's going to fight our battles. Samuel listened to all the people's words, and then he repeated them to the Lord. And this is what the Lord says. Listen to them. Appoint a king for them. Then Samuel told the men of Israel, each of you go back to your city. See, when you're set on, on just doing what you want to do, you usually minimize the nature of the consequences by denying reality in order to justify your actions. You can't see truth, and you definitely don't want to hear it. So you deny the truth of what that decision or that action or that consequence might be. So if, even if it's at the expense of your flourishing, you're willing to deny the reality for, 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 for falling into what you want, these desires for what you want. They said, we must, we must have a king. And the irony is that God was already their king. As a result, They got what they wanted. And so God says, listen to them. Listen to them. That's a dangerous place to be, actually. When when God gives you over to your desires. Uh, Romans 1, Paul makes that clear. That God gave them up to their desires, their sinful desires. So that's not a sign of blessing. That's actually a sign of judgment. For God to give me everything I want is not love. Now, as a parent, I can understand that. And and, and, and you, uh, as a child or now an adult child of a parent, you can understand that. Well, I'm so glad mama didn't give me that when I wanted because I, I didn't need that. So glad my daddy didn't give me that when I wanted it because I didn't need that. If kids were just asking and getting and whatever they asked, they, they got. 
It's not a sign of necessarily love. It's actually a sign that you don't really love your children because limits are actually a sign of love. And God, knowing what we ultimately need, mainly himself, is not uh, going to give us things that are to our detriment unless we just persist and it's a way for him to show us he's the only one that can bring what we truly need. He's the only one that can bring what we truly want. And this is the reality of the truth of the gospel is that all of us are detached from God and we're all searching for something to satisfy and give us contentment and true freedom. And all the while, many of us are searching outside or around God when in reality, he's the only one that can give us what we truly desire and what we truly need and what we truly crave. Because anything or anyone that we get and they don't, somehow or another, time is going to go by. They're not going to continue to give us what we thought they could at all points, at every waking moment. God knows exactly what we need. True contentment is found in him. True love is found in him. True freedom is found in God through Christ. So we have a God who is a God who gives generously everything. And if you doubt it, then all you have to do is look at the cross. If you're tempted to despair and doubt, and one of the things about the enemy is that he uses doubt in order to lead us away from God. And so if the doubt is causing you to turn from God, then you can be sure that's not a thought that comes from God. That's how you can be aware of what's happening in that moment. Is this thought causing me to reject God or is it leading me to cling closer to him? But in their circumstance and in their situation, it caused them to distrust that God had their best interests in mind. And so, beloved, really the enemy doesn't need to use any new tactics because his old ones work just fine. It's the same, it's the same trick. It's the same lie. God, God is holding out on you. He don't want you to have this. He's so mean. He just, he's just so, ugh, I can't stand him. And he can't. And he wants you to go down that same path with him. We have to be aware that in our desperate times, that, 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 that we all will surely and certainly face, that our desperate measures are taking us closer towards God. Not the things that he can give us, but God himself. Not the people necessarily that he's placed around us, although that is good for us to be as long as they're pointing us towards the Lord. 
And then consider, consider the fact that God has your good in mind and consider the, 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 the disastrous results of what could happen if you were to get what you want so bad. When it's not time to. Because remember, God said he'd give him a king. It takes us to be real about the truth of God, the promises of God, to remind ourselves of those things in order for us to stay connected with the God who gives. Because anything else that we raise and elevate above God, anything or anyone, is only a king that will inevitably take. So my prayer for us is that we would be encouraged by this word, be, uh, have an awareness based on what we see in the truth of Israel's demand for a king. Let's pray, Lord. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website, outpouringorlando.com, to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you. Have a wonderful week.